Welcome back to The Exchange, presented by Owen Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey. I'm Mike Ferguson. This is Episode 5 of Season 2 and our 16th podcast. The topic? Growing a team. Who to hire and when to hire. We're doing something a little different. We're going long form. Both Todd and Mark have experience as entrepreneurs, and if we were going to go long, I thought this was the time to do it. And now, here they are, Mark and Todd. Welcome to The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee. I'm your host, Mark Inman, and with me always is my good pal and co-worker, Todd Mackey. Todd, how you doing? Oh, Mark, I'm doing well. Good evening. Nice to join you. Welcome, everyone, to The Exchange. I uh, believe we're here in episode five, if I'm not mistaken, in season two. Yes. Um, and this is the coffee roaster and building a team, which I am particularly excited about. But as always, let's begin our episode with uh, with our segment, What is in Your Glass, Mark? What are you drinking tonight? Well, you know, tonight I really wanted to uh, get a, a nice wine for tonight just to warm up, but I was dragging and I did not want to be off my game because I've had the uh, warning from you that you were going to come in hot tonight, overly prepared and and make me look like a moron like you like to do here. So Believe I uh, brewed a fresh Chemex of uh, Ethiopia grade one, Wolichu Wachu, which is one of our top lots that I really like. Um, so I'm having, I'm, I'm halfway through a Chemex, so I'm, uh, I'm going to be uh, a babbling idiot tonight. You sound tense already. Are you, are you worried? <laughs> I mean, is it, is. Well, no. I'm a little concerned because I understand. <laughs> I, I did a uh, a podcast yesterday uh, where I uh, was on another podcast, and I, I was deathly afraid that this was going to drive a wedge between you and I or give you the impression that somehow I was going solo. And I, I don't want you to get that impression. But I, I did do a three-hour podcast yesterday. Oh, my goodness. Live. Uh, yeah, it was a live Google Hangout um you know that was a lot. I mean, we our our podcast here when we record this take an hour hour and a half sometimes, and that seems like a lot. But that was three. And we are hours. raining chopped content onto the the cutting room. Floor. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah yeah. The amount of overage is is incredible. I, I I'm glad you brought it up, Mark, because I, I yeah. I'm I want to just nip it in the bud. <laughs> I was really worked up about this. I, I felt can like imagine. I saw that all of a sudden Mark yeah. Inman from Olam Specialty Coffee is here being featured on another show. Yeah. Is this full time? Are you yeah. stepping out? I mean, what's going on? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, obviously the emotions of this sort of thing are crazy. So I, I appreciate I can you bringing it up. But yeah, but you know, as long as we're here now, let's. Just just move sure. forward and yes. um yeah i mean how did it go otherwise it obviously lot you must have covered a lot of stuff i mean what's yeah. the show about can we put in some promotion for it and where can people oh find yeah it? sure uh it's called uh map it forward is the name of the show and it's from a woman named lisa far who owns a company called elixir specialty coffee uh, in Southern California, and she's also a, what I learned in doing my research. As you know, I like to prep for these things. Uh, she's a, a pretty well-known singer-songwriter as well, and she—I I was not episode sixty-two, so she's been at it for a while. And she features various people in the coffee industry. She had Peter Giuliano on the last episode. She's had, um, you know, people in the commodity side of it, people on import and export side. And she she likes to have this long form discussion about pretty heady topics. I mean, and lately her focus has been on the sea market and, um, you know, equitable pay for farmers and how can we reverse what's happening at origin. And then we got onto this whole thing about um kind of uh you know unethical kind of uh how would i describe this like um unsavory uh practices with your employees sexual harassment and things like that which um i'm by far not an expert on um uh, but wanted my take on you know the various stories that had been out there and and stuff that she has you know heard from various guests and 
So we touched on farming. We touched on that, which is more kind of company, you know, ethics and ethos. And then finished with um, uh, another piece on on pricing and and the C market and and where you know why it works. You know what's differentially priced coffee. How do differentials work and all of that kind of stuff. Wow. So it, it was quite yeah. good, but it was dense. You know, I, I left there wiped out. I mean, how she does this every week, I have no idea. It's a, that's and, incredible. Yeah. And that's the average length per episode. I mean, yeah, you, you, yeah. Wow. I went back wow. and I actually watched a handful before I I went on the air to get a flavor for how she runs things, and and they're they're long. I mean, um, I, I, it's it's that's impressive. No way. This is video as well. So the Google yeah video is actually cast. Yeah, yeah. To Whoa, actually look okay. at my mug for three hours as well. That's a big ask, but I imagine right. if the average person breaks it up over, I don't know, like. 26 weeks or so it's doable sure sure (laughs) (laughs) oh man that so hey what's in your cup we didn't get to you tonight (laughs) no i appreciate that thanks um just opening my my can here up heard uh, that as i like to to keep things real and give everyone a sense that that this is not a joke (laughs) excuse me um i am drinking a dipa double ipa Actually, from a, a really new and emerging brewery here in the state of Rhode Island, down in what we call South County, uh-huh. um, which is uh, towards you know the shore, most of the the soft sand beaches that are well known in the state of Rhode Island, uh, the Ocean State for those who don't pay much attention, who might be tuning in, uh, or you know anyone from all over the world or the country. Um, but this is a place called Shades On. Excuse me, and and the beer is called Night Cruise, and they're they're sort of of the style of not really disclosing much. I don't know uh, from the can what type of hops we're looking at. Um, I just know kind of the type that they're shooting for. This is actually the first time I've tasted anything from the brewery. Um, It was a a, a gift from Tyler Morrissey in our Uh inbound uh, logistics department, who... uh, has great taste in beers on first sip. It's, it's very tasty, very big. I'll probably take my time. Um, cause like you said, I have promised you to come in well prepared and I don't want to <laughs> take any bit of, uh, my acuity out of the mix. So I'll just, I, I'll, I'll that. sip on it and let you know how it develops. But, okay. <laughs> but like we, uh, we noted earlier, coffee roaster and building a team, you know where I wanted to start our our look at building a team was really from, you know, the angle of taking uh, a one man band and uh, one person band and turning it into an orchestra, and and sure. essentially first and foremost ask the question, when do you do this? Um, and you know my first, and I think this gets right to the core of uh, you know talking about things that should never arise in running a company, running a team, the responsibilities of ownership and, and key management uh, to the employees. But but I think one of the biggest questions uh, you got to answer when considering if it's time to build a team. And this doesn't even get into sort of the ebb and flow of the business, but I I honestly believe it should be first, is do you have a clear and understandable mission, vision, and value statement? Absolutely. Um, And, you know, I think I I put this here with with the, um, you know, with a sense of just a critical sense because... No matter what you need within your business at, at a point, you know, we're asking essentially when is it time as the roaster operator to put down the trier or hand it off, uh, apprentice a roaster, bring on sales, bring on administration, finance, back of house operations, etc. cetera. Um, but if you can't, you know, rally people around why you're doing business and how you intend to do business culturally um, with that mission, vision and values, um, you know, things can build and quickly fall apart. I don't know if you would agree or, or what, you, you know, you feel like, you know, in that regard, what sets you up to go from, a, let's say, a simple company to a more complex sure. company, sure. just organizationally? Well, I, I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I am a firm believer that, you know, 
so many small businesses don't go through the exercise of creating a comprehensive strategic plan because they believe it's some big corporate you know tool that people use and it's not really relevant to small businesses but it's actually much more important for smaller businesses to go through you know a mission vision uh values then get into a, you know a, a, a short strategic plan and then break it out into tacticals because you cannot lure somebody good or somebody great, which you should be chasing, if you don't understand what you're doing, what you're chasing, and why they should be there. And if they're a good fit, you know, maybe your values don't align with them. But if you don't have it written down, if it's not clearly communicated, you won't know that. Um, I, and I do think you can take a pass if you're a one-man operation or one-person operation and not have that stuff figured out yet because you may be new to business. But by the time you get to the place where you want to start bringing on people, you need to know this. You have to have this written down because you really need to discuss this prior to hiring somebody either part-time or full-time. Sure. And how does someone find themselves in your business if if this isn't isn't there, right? right. Especially, I mean, you know, getting to the millennial generation that is now the largest, uh, you know, generation active in the workforce and only stands to grow larger. I mean, these are drivers for us, right? It, it's sure. It's really more about you know wh- why we're doing it than some of the aspects of what we're doing, and that's that's by no means to be distorted. And saying, well, you know, the the uh, the ends justifies the means. It's more, you know, we want to know that you know we're on uh, a path in the incremental towards you know sort of the grand scheme, the, the greater impact. Um, and I feel like the path to really empowering a team <clears throat> beyond just saying, yeah, the coffee's got to go out when when it's brown and it and it comes out of of that roaster, you know, green to brown. Beyond that, you know, you have the ability to empower your team to make good decisions, uh, you know, act as agents on behalf of the company, really take ownership uh, of who you are and who you stand to be as a company. So I I really I I feel like, you know, that at the core is is the biggest place to begin. If you are not there yet, you know, even if you're months beyond having the justification from a business standpoint, operational standpoint of bringing people in, take a pause and go through the process of writing this stuff out and wrestling with it. And I would argue, you know, if you have the core team, let's say if it's a, a, a small partnership, if you have a couple key early employees or stakeholders, people who you're bringing into the business in that really close way, do this together. I mean, what a, what a tremendous opportunity to bring, you know, and and give shape to that partnership on the next level, then to kind of grapple with these questions yourselves and and let the business start to reflect the people who are sewing most into it, you know. Um, again, never neat, never easy. I think I said something to this effect in our last episode, but but always worth the work. I mean, partnership and real like mutuality is mm-hmm. harder but better, you know. Sure. Um, sure. But but moving past this point and assuming this huge cornerstone is in place, you know, for the the building uh, that you're going to be doing uh, team wise, you know, from here, I, I really feel like a critical question, and I'm sure this will spur a great discussion for us, is to ask the question, you know, can the business support from a cash flow perspective? Right. And and of course, there's always um you know there's various ways you can look at this businesses will either grow and stretch or stretch and grow right depending on how much free cash is there to invest in the team ahead of the growth or how much you know you need to kind of create the growth as a team and then and then support it with additional help um but how do you look at this from a business perspective when you were growing your team um, right and and as you uh, survey the challenges, you know, even we face uh, as we continue to experience growth uh, and try to balance, um, you know, managing the amount of territory that, that you know, we see expand. Um, you know, how do you look at this uh, from a business metric standpoint? What are the indicators that this small business, 
when they have what seems to be the budget to support, you know, what are the things that people should feel good about uh, having uh, when they start to pull the trigger on, on making some key hires? Well, I think that the, the, there's two things that I think are key. Actually, there's probably a little bit more than that. But the two main things is that you get to a point in the business when you're doing it on your own or maybe just with your business partner that you you cannot continue to go as you are. Your growth is kind of peaked. You've hit your you know nadir of growth uh, until and, and and you need somebody to help you continue that growth. But I do think that the the mindset change that needs to happen because when you're an entrepreneur and I and I know a lot of them, uh, small business owners you're used to making a lot of sacrifice and you're used to, you know, I, I was the, the head, you know, toilet cleaner and the head vacuum cleaner guy and the, the roaster. And, you know, you're used to wearing 50 hats and you're perfectly okay with that. And you're perfectly okay with making sacrifices to ensure that the business continues. But when you decide to take on an employee you need to understand that they're not an owner. They're an employee. So they should never be put into the position to make similar sacrifices to you because they don't have any reason to do so. They don't have ownership in the company. They're not going to have a payout if the company sells. So I would say, A, you have the cash flow to adequately pay for this person. And that includes you know, a comparable wage that's in your area that can be handed out saying, well, we're an up and coming company. I can only afford to pay X, even though your, you know, other roasters are paying much more. You're not prepared. You're not ready. And that, and you're asking already too much of your employee. So being able to adequately pay them a, and, uh, and B being able to, uh, empower them to learn and grow within the company. A lot of entrepreneurs or small business owners that I've met or come across suffer from this idea of, of micromanaging due to fear or control of losing either the vision of the business or the main you know, uh, pillars of why this company exists, that if they hand over the reins to a, a new roaster, the roaster's going to change all the recipes and ruin everything or not get it right, and they... Uh, not only you know throughout their training they're also just pressing hard and micromanaging this person to not allow them to learn but also make mistakes that are going to be inevitable when you're learning a you know a craft or a trade like roasting coffee so you you have to give some some latitude for them to grow into to um to be a part of this moving forward and, and in a perfect world you want this roaster to act like an owner, have an owner's mindset, even though they are not, that they are so invested. And they do that because they feel like they're actually welcome and a part of a team. And, and they are they have some latitude to work and do their job. Yeah, I mean, that's the flip side of the coin, right? You're getting at is uh, to let someone succeed, you have to be willing to let them fail. Like, right. You, it's one in the same. It, it, if you give someone the, the room and the opportunity to run, um, you know, things can go well and things can go poorly. And often, uh, at least from my experience, you know, those are both good outcomes. Right. Right. Um, you know, and, and the growth that can come out of out of uh, failure or, or challenges uh, can be fantastic. I do feel like I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, creating and I even said this earlier when it came to mission, vision, values, you know, to foster empowerment, to create stake in the company. You know, I also appreciate very much, and I think that it can't be understated, that there has to be a delineation, um, you know, in how the idea of ownership versus substantive stake, you know, how these things are, are uh, communicated. You know, there needs to be clarity if you're new to building a team total, Let's say you're, you know, relatively young entrepreneur, you built this company uh, and you're hiring your first employees and you've never employed, maybe you've never managed people before. But I think it's really critical that, uh, you know, the growth opportunities are clear 
that the incentives and, and the deliverables of a position, you know, uh, your productivity as a roaster, your sales growth as a salesperson, uh, your scope of management as, as someone who might be handling books or finances or, you know, any operational objectives, you know, just to be clear in what the job description is, what that position is worth and how it stands to grow. I mean, I think that Unfortunately, small business and, and small business within specialty coffee really, you know, is no different, but it, it suffers from a lack of uh, foresight in these ways. And, and that can, you know, unfortunately create a, a really confusing um, position for the, the employee to be in, which I sure. don't think is fair at all. And and I think, you know, we, we see that arise in, in the wider culture where, you know, there are some really legitimate um, you know, grievances that get brought up from, uh, you know, people who've been really hurt by companies. And, and you certainly want to, um, you know, aspire to do, uh, to do more, to do, do as much as you can uh, to avoid that and, and to set up a structure where, you know, those things are, are at the core even before you get into the momentum that creating a team stands to uh, bring to your company in, in the most positive ways, right? Sure. You know, quickly as a business owner, uh, you know, your job transitions so much to just making sure everyone has what they need to thrive. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's that's it's great to hear uh, where you're coming from. I guess I'm curious too, just to go back to now we're evaluating, you know, when you choose to expand, we have, right. you know, that the cash flow, the the resources of the business, maybe you've taken some sort of investment from outside and now you have, uh, you know, working capital on hand, uh, another good time uh, to hire people. You know, some people would say, well, we're between uh, equipment investments or personnel, right? And that's totally logical. Sure. Um, you know, maybe you're just noticing that your surplus cash flow month to month all of a sudden supports another key salary and, and that could free you up as uh, the roaster owner to to transition to uh, focusing only on sales or business growth, right? Right. Um, but I guess I'm curious. I know classically mm-hmm. the early hires in in almost any sales organization, which coffee companies are, whether they're you know cafes, uh, coffee roasters, green coffee companies, etc. These are sales organizations and and generative positions, roles like sales, relationship manager. Uh, you know, even a slightly tangential, like trainers, uh, people that are supporting business growth, uh, right. more sales are usually the first positions to hire. And I guess I'd be curious for young, small roasters in this transition. Do you feel that that holds? And and if so, why or where are the um, maybe the, um, you know, sort of exceptions to the rule? You mean, do they hire salespeople first before another roaster? Do they hire salespeople first before another roaster and stay on the roaster? Do they become the salesperson and hire the roaster? Is it a generative position that always drives this early hiring? Yeah, because because historically and in, in you know general thought like for business growth would say yeah you you always you know the sales team is always the one putting more business in the pipeline and that's the right. way to grow. I right. would argue that a lot of these companies are experiencing really organic growth without much like hard push sales effort in a lot of cases, which is amazing. Yeah, initially. But, but that's is true. that is that a little dangerous? So, you know, what would you recommend to this owner who is saying, I either want someone to go out and drum up business because I'm sick of doing that. Right. Or vice versa. Hey, I can't afford to be standing at the roaster because I need to go out and, and support my accounts, make sure that they stay with me and get more. Right. Yeah. Is is well, that really at the core? Yeah. I mean, I I think that, you know that's a really good question. And and when I had my company, I would get calls from other roasters asking, you know, how and when, you know, do I hire a salesperson? How do I pay that person? Is it pure commission? Is it commission based salary? Is it just base salary? And you know, but in the scenario that you've painted here, um, I believe that. You know, to me, I would hire the roaster first and I would continue to do sales because as the owner and somebody who's still crafting 
you know, are, are getting a, a clearer sense of what the vision is of this company, that I'm able to adequately communicate that to customers or potential new business and repeating that over and over and over again to where I could clearly document what it is that are, you know, how we do sales and, and, and what are the packages we offer and what are the deals. So then when I do hire somebody, they're not having to figure it out when they start. I've got that ironed out. And, and in the meantime, I've got somebody doing the manufacturing piece while I'm initially being the, the sole representative of the brand. I, I think that hiring a salesperson is much trickier than hiring another roaster um, because there's not a lot of people that that do coffee sales. And, and I found my best salespeople did not come from coffee. They came from the wine and liquor uh, business. Um, but it took me a while to find that. It's a really hard position to fill. And I would say that if you look at most coffee companies out there hiring right now, they're almost all hiring or looking for wholesale salespeople because it's the toughest job to fill. Yeah, and there's a there's a lot of competition in that space uh, yeah. building regionally too. What were the traits that you look for? I mean, when you did start looking for salespeople or when you looked at yourself as the business owner, what were like if you had to list three or four key competencies for that salesperson, what were they? And and not so much why, you know, liquor and wine made right. such good salespeople, but but what was it about that space or, or those people that really yeah. made them great candidates? Well, I, I think there's two things. One is, is that if, you know, for a great salesperson, they have to be able to communicate to a wide swath of people and personalities out there. Somebody who owns a restaurant is not going to be the same type of person who owns a bakery or who owns another cafe or who owns a grocery store. So you're going to be, you're not just going to be dealing with, the personality types that you like to hang around with. You're going to have to cast a wider net. So somebody who is personable to a wide swath of people. Um, secondly, is somebody who has the ability to learn about the product very well and come off as very well educated quickly. Um, and third, uh, an ability to fight for your brand in a very, saturated market. I mean, in most markets in the United States, coffee is is getting very saturated. The reason why I was attracted to liquor and wine uh, sales reps were, were twofold. One was liquor, you know, how many brands of tequila are there on the market right now? I mean, a lot more in a, in than coffee. So if you have been successful as a, a, a a sales rep for a tequila brand and been able to get this brand on the shelf in fighting out all that, that competition, you obviously have some skill or you have an ability to push something, you know, unless you're working for a major brand that throws, you know, has major, you know, perks, like I'll, you know, I'll take you to Skybox at, you know, the Lakers or something like that. If, if they just act, actually have to fight to get their brand on there and they're able to do that, that means they would have the more likely than not have the skill to get you on the shelf. Same thing with wine. I mean, the wine industry right now, there are so many labels out there. And if you're able to successfully carve out a niche as a wine rep, you you have a talent that will work well in coffee. Now, why it worked for me was I was hiring people that, you know, most most liquor, wine, and beer salespeople start pretty young because they're working at bars late at night. They're doing promotions. Um, you know, in your 20s, that's a great time to be in that industry. You're basically being paid to go to parties every night. But as they got older, in their 30s, and they got married and they had children, they didn't want to be doing liquor promotions at 1 in the morning at some bar. So the idea of selling coffee and being, you know, available during the daytime and they could stay home at nights with their family became very attractive to them. So they they came to me. It was more like this is a very similar product. It will be easy to learn. I just need to know 
you know, the, what, how coffee is like the product I was selling. So, you know, how is coffee like wine? There's a million ways to teach that. And same thing with liquor. You can find those commonalities, just like the beer you're drinking tonight. You know, the, the hops that were grown, the, you know, if you're selling this beer, you need to know all this stuff. It's the same thing as knowing what varieties of coffee are in this blend and how is it roasted. And, and they would have their wrap down quite well. And I found that they were much better at sales than I ever could have been uh, when I had them working for me. Right on. Yeah. And, and just to, to make sure, I mean, you heard it here, everyone take Mark to a Lakers game and you can sell Olam specialty coffee, (laughs) anything you want. Um, Sure. But, but no, I I appreciate that a lot. Um, I, I do think, I mean, particularly with wine where it's, Man, to 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 find space in uh, wine offer lists at you know the right places to target you know what are seemingly endless lists of potential accounts for the great accounts right. to make those lists at those great accounts you know I mean and to to create your you know throw your elbows out so to speak and to find place there um, you know that's that's similarly difficult to to where we find ourselves so you know it's the the focus the tenacity uh, and all the things you bring up but um yeah that's great so yeah i mean we we've sort of established you know when the the small roaster can and should start to uh consider building a team i guess my my next uh, sort of silo for our discussion and you know maybe a little bit more open to interpretation in a way but you know there's there's definitely prevailing ways that this happens uh, it is the question of structure you know how how right. do you is there a, a kind of a standard way or, or a kind of a, a stock approach that everyone should at least consider when they're structuring their organization where they prioritize certain functions or or even what functions need to have their own department it sounds silly to say for you know for smaller businesses and i don't mean to come off in some corporate way i mean more to identify essentially what's happening where and and where those things should be owned by somebody as you grow right right Um, you know essentially we get back to and we've mentioned sales finance operations uh you know admin there's a lot of things that fall under each of those um, but you know, how do you put those together and where do you prioritize those as you build a team? And I don't mean prioritize in terms of, you know, solely, well, the positions in, in this space are worth more than others. Um, uh, but where do you put them in terms of the priority of adding them to your operation? Because everybody knows no one has, uh, you know, bottomless pockets or limitless no. supply of cash. No. You always have to say, it's either this or this. And sometimes you have to say, I need, you know, someone to do both. I need to split my time this way. Um, you know, where are those priorities to you? Or how did you look at your company? And uh, and maybe, you know, how did you look at it and it was good? And then maybe how did you look at it and how would you change it going back? Sure. Well, I always looked at it as needs and wants. That's, that's, oh, that's a list I do with everything I pretty much do in life. You know, it... it would it be nice to have a sales rep? Sure. Do I absolutely need it right now? Well, I'm I'm still getting accounts, so maybe I don't need that right now. But I'm finding myself out on the road a lot getting sales, and I and then got to get off from doing sales, and I got to go back to the warehouse and roast till two in the morning. It would be nice to really you know have somebody take that on because I don't want to work twenty hours a day anymore. So that's a that becomes a need rather than a want. Um, but, you know, I think that the main thing with the needs and wants is understanding what you're capable. You know, I, I always wanted I would take my time hiring to find the, the a great person, somebody who would stay for a long time, somebody that I can give opportu- enough opportunity to plant their roots in my company for quite a while. And because of that, I had a one percent turnover in the 20 years I had my company, very few people left the company. Um, but, you know, what I have seen from other people is, you know, for example, the, on the needs and wants, it, if you're going to hire a salesperson and you want to hire great people, 
Are you prepared if they actually do great things? I had a, a, a client recently who hired a sales rep who went out there and just started selling the hell out of product. And they're like, whoa, 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 I can't handle all this growth. And the, the sales rep's like, well, you're paying me based on you know commission and what I can sell. So of course I'm going to hit the ground running hard. I want to make a lot of money. And the, the, the company couldn't handle that much growth that fast. And it created a massive problem between the two employees and then, or the, between the employee and the employer. And that person was let go. And so you have to be prepared for that, that greatness, because if you, you know, in a perfect world, you're hiring great people. So if, if sales isn't the thing where, man, if I, took the leash off and they went crazy. Could I actually handle it? If you can't, then look at your manufacturing first because the roaster is not going to like, I did so well, I roasted 10 times the coffee than you need. That's not how they're going to do it. They're going to be more focused on doing great roasts and learning a lot and getting into cupping and maybe aspiring to buy the green someday. You know, I, I always looked at, I wanted to hire people that could potentially be greater than me. And and I would be very frank with them about that in the interview process. In a perfect world, if you if you are doing so good, you know, in a, in a perfect world, you can take my job. You can make me irrelevant. And is that a threat to me? No. What it does is it forces me to be much more on my game so that day never comes. So that I don't become irrelevant. I become relevant in another area as this person's excelling. But I, I tend to do better when I'm surrounded by other people doing things at a very high level. So I want to feel that pressure of, whoa, 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 if I don't learn this fast enough, this person's going to outpace me. But on the flip side, uh, what, I have, what I saw during my time with the World Barista Championship are coffee companies that were afraid to train people or teach people too much because the fear was, well, if they, you know, know how to be great using a barista as example, they know how to be so great. They go and win the world barista championship. What if they just up and start their own company? And that's a possibility. And you have to allow that to be possible. The onus is really on you to make it difficult for that person to want to leave that you've developed such a great company culture that, yeah, it'd be nice to own my own company as the employee, but God, I really like working here. And maybe I could just stay here and grow within the company. But if the person up and leaves, that may just happen because they're driven and that's, you know, in the cards anyways. But you can't let that bother you or stop you from adequately training or sharing the information. And that goes with the roasters. You can't like, I know roasting companies that don't tell the roasters the recipes to their blends. They'll give them a piece of the puzzle and then they go and, and finish the blend on their own behind, you know, closed doors because they act, they're acting like, you know, they have the recipe to Coke. And it, it, I mean, anybody that knows how to roast or is worth their salt can blend anything that they want. You're not hiding in the big picture really anything from them. But if they, if you're stymieing them because you're afraid of them advancing too fast or them, you know, being so driven that they go and start their own thing you know, you're going to limit your growth and you're, and you're really ultimately not prepared to have employees if that's what you're constantly wrestling with or struggling with mentally. Sure. I think uh, I've always gone back to this truth, but, you know, most people define or, or have a perception of how, you know, great a company is or the culture of working at a company by the people that they they keep right which is absolutely true by no means wrong but i think that there's there's a ton that is spoken uh uh by companies by the people that they spur off you know that do sure. great things and that yeah. found a, a fantastic launching point and beginning and i think that in a, in a business like this one that has to be celebrated just as much right um oh it's, and, it's uh, a great source of pride i i have a lot of ex-employees that own their own companies now that do quite well and it's you feel like a parent like i raise good kids it's uh how could you not be flattered by that yeah, it's awesome. I think to your point too, and and uh, you know this even uh, if you're you might be in a position as a business owner where you're not ready to to hire a full time 
uh, bookkeeper or finance or, you know, some right. of these functions that you might be doing this. And man, I remember like nights where I would fall asleep in my computer or just freak out because I'm doing stuff that, you know, I can do it. Sure. And and there's a lot of time I had to do it. But, you know, the it to hire someone in to serve some of these functions to do it with half as much energy over a a third, a quarter as much time, and to do it three, four, five times better right. was just the best possible investment you could make. And you absolutely, know, it's it's amazing to you know to have that that energy around the competition of yeah, I want to be just as good as my best people. This is a great like you know metal sharpening metal type of thing. Um, but at the same time, like as a business owner what is the stuff that sucks the life out of you that you do because you have to and as your resources free up how can you not only lose that time suck in in your week um, but bring in people who really thrive excel and can look at your business from a standpoint of strength rather than you know playing defense in those ways sure uh, to helping your business grow and i think that that stuff is also huge you know the the key there is balancing that with that that question we asked earlier of, you know is it essential to start your team building from those generative roles and i think we've established a couple of reasons why you might not because of opportunities to decrease your workload uh, put your own energy back into building the business and sales representing the company only the way you might be able to at least right. for a time but also, you know, um, looking at ways that you got to also be mindful of, you know, production uh, capacities and, and whether or not the company uh, from a product side is even ready to supply, um, you know, what a crushing salesperson like Mark Inman might bring to the <laughs> table, right? No, I was far um, from that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I go back and this is sort of where I would bring things to a landing but but i go back to just kind of a, a simple structure and i'll try to lay it out i wish you know this i had a board i could put some visuals together or whatever maybe we'll follow this up with even like a, a light blog post where we kind of illustrate it uh more more substantively but sure but i always go back to you know a structure where sales you know let's let's imagine this from the top down and uh, this is sort of a hierarchy, hierarchy, but 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 a f we'll flip it. So don't just jump to conclusions as I'm giving it to you. But if we start with sales in, in the top position, in the widest position, with finance underlaying that, you know, companies here, I'm sure, as they're growing and they're starting to ask these questions of becoming more complex, the, the a driver of that is going to be the business they're doing, which is going to require terms. You're going to start having to float. Uh, coffee to more people. You're going to yep. start having a, a more critical and challenging ebb and flow uh, to cash as it moves through your business. And those functions of invoicing in a timely manner, capturing and collecting funds, you know, and actually having, uh, you know, your accrual basis records reading in real time, you know, the vitality of your business to make these decisions in the first place. You know, that role is not just a, well, we do it you know, when we have to close things once a month or even worse, right? This right. Is, this is really critical. Um, yeah. You know, these two in, in this order, I think, sit atop of operations, which I see as, you know, obviously, you know, just the kind of respiration of the factory, production, fulfillment, procurement, of course, these really core functions when we think of you know, hey, I own and run a coffee roaster. Or I work for Coffee Roaster XYZ. I mean, this is what we imagine. And it's, again, it's it's not any lack of importance or value. It's, it's just how the work of the company works through the structure. Um, and then all of this, I feel like, sits on top of administration. And, and if you're the type of uh, owner that, that likes or sees or wants to project the executive type um, self-image or, you know, you're presenting yourself with a title this way, whether to your team and or to the public. All right. Um, you know, I would actually put you and this function at the very bottom of the company. Absolutely. Um, if, if everyone's following me here, what I'm trying to, to outline is the inverted hierarchy, right? The, tri the upside down triangle where everybody needs you to do 
the right thing at the foundation, whether that's culturally values driven, um, supplying uh, needs both functionally and uh, you know delivering on your contracts with your employees, um, you know, and and making sure that that this whole thing is hinging and is and is balanced on that single point. Um, you know, to where sales has the production to supply the sales they're closing, uh, to where, you know, the finance team can collect the the funds because the relationships with the clients is sound and good because sales is out there in that more widespread and connected way direct to the customer, right? Um, right. So, you know, this is this is where I go if if we if we've established when uh, to grow your your team and and you decide to make the leap. I, this is exactly how I would aspire to do it. And I do think you know it, it's easiest or often easiest, I should say, to be safe to begin by expanding at that top and sort of you know zipper it down to the bottom, you know, and and create the space between you, the owner operator, and that sales function. You might even find that these things are, this structure is a way that you divide, uh, divide your time in the business, um, making sure that the, you know, that the time is spent relative to the shape, the, you know, the inverted triangle shape, um, right. you know, it can be helpful that way too. But, but I do think, you know, it's really important to kind of project, uh, this type of thing, even if you absolutely disagree, think this sucks, uh, that's totally cool, but at least take time with a plan and decide, you know, as far ahead as you can, what are you going to look like at the end of this hiring spree? If, if you're hiring sure. a person or if you plan to, to fill out the team with five to 10 people, I mean, you know, he, what I would consider for a small business to be a huge expansion, right? Um, sure. You know, what is the objective and, and where do you want it to land? Because guaranteed, the only way you'll get close uh, to getting the shape that you hope is by determining the shape before you start. Right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't, I'd be curious your thoughts. Do you agree? Is, are there things in that you find fundamentally wrong? I mean, you know, true friends stab in the front, so have at it. Yeah, no, I, I think you're, <laughs> you're spot on. Um, I, I think the only thing I can add to that is, is when you have these, if you've hired great staff, you know, the one thing I think that most uh, business owners that I, talk to uh, don't either believe or they don't test it is that your that great staff people have phenomenal capacity for success and they want to be great they want to perform and if you put stretch goals out there like big lofty goals and you let them have the ability to chase these goals if they actually get there, you have to reward them handsomely for the the hard work. And if you are able to do that, you will have amazing loyalty, an amazing team uh, environment because they understand that that you ask them, they deliver, and then you reward. And that system is, you know, no matter what the reward is, maybe it stings a little bit in your pocketbook when you give it. But you know what? They've taken you to the next level, a level that you could never have, have achieved on your own. So you have to like understand this is a family and you want to take care of everybody equally and give them opportunities. Even if you think you know, you're unsure of their capabilities, give them the chance to, to prove themselves if they feel that drive. And, and an example of that, I have two examples. One is a criticism of me personally, and one is, is something that I just did, was I, I had hired people that I just saw potential in early on and, um, and didn't know exactly where they would go in their career with me or if they'd even stay. But I kept laying challenges in front of them, and they kept responding and succeeding. And fast forward 20 years, the, my first person I hired to answer phones and write up tickets, sales orders, and do invoicing became my chief operating officer and now owns her own company. Uh, another person I hired to just can coffee, put coffee in a can and seal it, became my head green buyer and head roaster and ran of a functioning manufacturing plant. 
somebody I never thought would even know how to do that learned they wanted that that opportunity so badly they figured it out and they did it well and but on the flip side not everybody can do that and so I had to let somebody go one time and on the exit interview when I let them go uh they said you know what is it really interesting about you as a as a leader is that you gave me you give people enough rope to either climb their way to the next rung up or to hang themselves and you're okay with whatever direction that goes you're giving us the freedom to make our own path forward and at first it kind of stung to hear that i was allowing somebody to hang themselves but it was ultimately a great compliment that I allowed people to go up as far as they can climb on the ladder. And, and at some point, if they couldn't climb any farther, that was the end of the, of the road for them. Um, but, but I think that, you know, people, you know, fall in love with hiring new people and new talent and, and, you know, just assuming, well, we're growing and I need a, a really good green buyer or I need to hire a top barista. Well, maybe your own people can already get there if you give them the opportunity. So don't ever overlook that because you'll be making a big mistake and it could really demoralize the dedicated staff that you have. Absolutely. I don't, I mean, one of the great truths in, in pro dev, your, your own and others is you, you can never have done something until you get a chance to do it. Right. Right. And so many people want to grow in, in the industry and want opportunity. And, and, uh, you know, I don't think anyone even who applies for a job that they have experience that backs it up is really looking to, to take that and, and then stay in a static place. Right. I mean, everyone right. wants, um, to push forward in, in most all cases. Um, so yeah, point well taken, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, alas, it seems we are nearing the end of another, uh, I would say successful exchange episode. I mean, any final thoughts for the coffee roaster and building a team before we, we close this one out, Mark? Uh, I, my only thought is that we're actually doing a complete episode uh, tonight rather than a double because we blather on for too much. We actually tied a nice little bow on this one. So I'm pretty proud of us for having the discipline to uh, get a, a full episode in one take and, and not have this drag on. And I could see that Mike will <laughs> trim it down even nicer to have it sound, sounding uh, very good. Oh, I did want to say one thing, though, before we close, <laughs> that I wanted to say that uh, that our producer, Mike Ferguson, made us – aware of this, that the last episode, we crossed the 10,000 mark on downloads, and uh, which blew my mind that there's that many people out there listening to you and I, uh, you know, doing this, and how uh, honored I am to have uh, people tuning in each time we post these, and how honored I am to be a part of this and to work alongside you, Todd, and you, Mike. Um, I could not have a better time doing this and just wanted to, uh, and he just posted here 10,500 tomorrow. So, um, I, I just want to give a shout out to both of you, uh, Mr. Ferguson for being such a great producer and keeping us on our toes. And Todd, I could not have a better co-host. Uh, I couldn't imagine a better co-host to do this podcast with. Mark, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I, I echo your excitement. I mean, it's, totally and thoroughly humbling as we've seen this develop and i mean I, I love the opportunity i'm so glad to join you and and so thankful for mike and and for all of the support we get from uh from the olam specialty coffee team um but as always i will let you take us out through the end um let's not perfect for him <laughs> Well, that ties up another episode of The Exchange presented by Olam Specialty Coffee. For Todd Mackey, our producer Mike Ferguson, and myself, Mark Inman, we wish you a good night. You've been listening to The Exchange, You Know You Have, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee. Hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey, directed by Mike Ferguson. Our opening theme was Coffee Drinking by Audrin Trummel. And our closing theme is Coffee Blues by Bain Dekovic. All music is used under Creative Commons. Remember, you can email us at theexchange at olamnet.com. Thanks for listening, and now, your postscript. 
Rex Tillerson, of course, from Exxon, he came in in between testimony to help me out with some tips on team building. 